This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show, 883. Hey everyone, I'm here with my good friend Henry Washington for a very, very powerful investor story today. Man, that's right, Rob. We are here talking to Terrica Smith. Terrica is single handedly solving affordable housing in Louisiana while turning a profit. This is one of the best episodes that I've ever been a part of, is an understatement. Terrica is an investor who started out with nothing, like in terms of resources, in terms of finances, in terms of understanding what real estate investing is. We hear all the time that affordable housing is this puzzle that no one knows how to solve. And she is literally doing it right now in her backyard and started at ground zero, where a lot of new investors find themselves right now without money and without knowledge. And so if you are in that boat where you know, I want to do something extremely powerful with real estate, and I just don't feel like I have the resources to be able to do that, this is the show for you. Because this is somebody who was in your shoes and is now changing her community and is now changing the lives of the people within her community and building wealth while doing it. And she's solving affordable housing for Louisiana and actually turning a profit, which just makes this whole story all that more inspiring. So you're going to definitely want to stick around until the very end. I know you're going to love it. And without further ado, let's bring in Terrica. Terrica, to start the show, can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing in New Orleans? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, for those who don't know, my name is Tara Kalen Smith. Um, I'm a real estate developer um, and coach. And so um, I actually got started in real estate back in 2005. And um, that was the year of Hurricane Katrina. Um, we were trapped in the city um, and honestly thought we was going to die. You know, um, it, I thought it was the end of the world during that time. And so um, I had two kids at that particular point in my life, and I knew that, you know, I did not want to leave them here, you know, without a mother. I also didn't want to, you know, lose our lives because we didn't have any money. And so it was a life-changing moment for me, you know, being trapped in the city. And I said, if I can get out this city, then I'm going to work and not rely on the government ever again in my life. And that's what I did. I We relocated to a foreign city called Lafayette, Louisiana. I didn't know nobody, you know, um, didn't have no referrals. I had nothing. I started with nothing. Um, and I ended up um, at Century 21 and I got started, you know, selling real estate. I think the, the, the key point of that, though, is I didn't just go get my real estate license. I knew absolutely nothing about real estate at this time. I just knew I was trapped in the city for a few days and I did not want to experience that again. I wanted to be able to fly out the next time a natural disaster happens. And so because I knew that and I knew because I didn't have no money, I couldn't leave the city. I was one of those people who was poor in New Orleans at the time. I had to do something um, to be able to better my life for my children. So you mentioned you didn't really know much about uh, real estate or anything like that. What were you doing? What Tell us a little bit about some of the careers or some of the jobs you had growing up. Well, <laughs> well, I was homeless at 17. So I didn't really have like no career. I didn't go to like college and have like no fancy degrees or anything like that. At that point in time in my life, um, I was working at a temp service during Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, I would hold stop signs at the construction sites early in the morning to be able to let people know when to stop and slow down and do different things like that. So I absolutely knew nothing about real estate. But before Hurricane Katrina, I actually traveled the road selling magazines going door to door. And I would ask people what they did for a living. And these people would always say that they were in real estate. So the term real estate always stuck inside my head, 
because I didn't, you know, I never knew what it was. I always thought it was buildings. I never knew it was sexual dirt. So after Hurricane Katrina and being trapped in the city, when I realized I needed to find something to be able to make money, I remembered all those people doors I was knocking upon and they lived in these big, beautiful homes and they all said they were in real estate. And so for me, that's why I ended up going into real estate because of the simple fact, you know, I was a door knocker and that's how, you know, that's really how I got my start in real estate. You know, I think that's super cool. There's a lot of people who get their start in real estate because they, through whatever profession they have, see uh, people closing real estate deals and they end up on that. Like I've talked to people like, you know, like title agents, they, you know, they're closing transactions all day long and they're all of a sudden they're like, I want to be receiving some of these checks. Like, how do I do that? And then the same thing, people see real estate agents, they know they get commissions and that kind of what gets them in. It's interesting too, that you were knocking on doors because as real estate investors, that's still something we have to do, we have to yeah. do when we're getting started sometimes. Um, so uh, I wanted to kind of clarify you, 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 you said you were trapped in the city during Hurricane Katrina. I just want to clarify for the audience what you mean by that. You don't mean trapped in the city in terms of like, you couldn't get out because traffic was bad. You mean you were trapped in the city because you just financially didn't have any any way to leave. Is that what you're saying? Right. Both. So when I say trapped in the city, I mean that, um, one, we did not have no money to be able to leave ahead of time to be able to evacuate when they told us to evacuate. If you don't have much money and you live in on, you know, welfare, that is a lot of money when you have to up and leave and you have that small amount of income. So not only that, you know, it took us three days to be able to get to a city called Bowbridge, Louisiana, which is only two hours away from New Orleans. That's how bad traffic was. And that's how long it was taking people to be able to evacuate because, you know, people was running out of gas. The gas stations wasn't opening. So we stayed trapped in the city, literally in the same area until we was able to um, get assistance with the um the police, the army, and all those different people that came in to help um, help us evacuate, but we literally was trapped in the city. Okay, so 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 essentially, what you're saying is because of the conditions and your financial situation, there was no other options for you, and then you kind of put two and two together and said, I know all these people that have this money are in real estate and I never want to put myself or my family in a position where I can't get away from trouble like this if I need to due to my own financial circumstances. So you said, I'm going to get into real estate because of those situations? Absolutely. I didn't even, let me tell you this. They were asking for our city council and all these different people. And they were like, yo, they flew out already. So it just planted a seed <laughs> when I heard that, right? So we asking for help from our leaders, but they not there. They already gone. So it's like, okay, well, I don't want to be here next time something like this happened. So it, it just really resonated to know, yo, people really did leave. And if we would have had money to be able to leave, we wouldn't be in this situation, you know. Um, and so it, it, it was a big eye open for me. Like I just, you know, you never know what you need until you really need it. And at that time, if we had the resources to be able to evacuate, and I'm talking just a few hundred dollars, I'm not talking like thousands of dollars. If we had a few extra hundred dollars, we could have left and evacuated and stayed at a hotel again. You know, for those who don't know what evacuation is, you got to literally leave your house. You got to go and stay at a hotel room. You got to be able to afford the hotel room. You got to afford the food when going to that. So it's not just, oh, up and leave and go by a cousin or a relative. It's, it's also, you know, counting the cost of that as well. 
Absolutely. It's hard. I think it's hard for anybody to move. So you put in any kind of financial constraints or stress and it's super, super difficult. Um, so, uh, thank you so much for sharing that with this, Tarek. I, I, w- I want to move along a little bit in your story because eventually you do end up getting into real estate. And, uh, you know, did you know getting into real estate when you were doing this? Did you know what it would become? Did you have an idea where you like, this is my way out? Or were you like, I'm going to try this and see how it goes? Bro, I was poor with a negative bank account. Okay, let me just be clear. (laughs) I just needed some money at the time. I didn't join real estate because I was going to be Warren Buffett or Donald Trump. I joined because I needed some zeros in my bank account. And I seen people with big houses and it looked like they put zeros in their bank account with real estate. You know, I failed that exam seven times. I could not pass that exam. I did not know what a mortgage was, a lien was, an encroachment, an encumbrance. I knew no real estate terms. So for me to literally know nothing, be the dumbest one in the classroom, asking the most simplest questions to those who got family who's been owning real estate, it, it it's it's unheard of, right? So I, I I had no clue that I would be you know um, a leading woman in my area, um, pioneering you know um, smart growth. I just didn't know that. I didn't. My mind didn't comprehend that. It comprehended. I needed a few more zeros at that time. So I started where I was. Cool. And give us a little bit of clarification. When did you go to real estate school? Give us like. What was that time frame relative to Hurricane Katrina? And yeah, give us some some context there. That's a great question, Rob. So um, I got started in real estate. I started, so Katrina was in August of 05. So in um, right after Hurricane Katrina, we got relocated to a place called Lafayette, Louisiana. By December, I was already going to real estate school. I was sitting in the class trying to figure out what the heck real estate was and just trying to figure out how to pass exam. In early 06, I got my license and um, I finally passed it, got my license and I became a real estate agent during that time. Got it. Okay. And you said you took that test a few times. Seven. Okay. Seven times. Let's not dismiss that seven. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And I love that, by the way. Uh, Most people would not do that. So that just honestly just goes to show your tenacity and how much you wanted this. You get, you, you pass... I'm sure that's a really big day for you. And you get into your first year of being a real estate agent. What was that like? (laughs) I made a whopping $5,000 my first year. I could have made more money working at McDonald's is what my exact thought was. I'll never forget that moment. I just knew when I passed that exam here, like I just knew that I was going to be rich. Okay. Like I just was like, oh my gosh, I got the paper that everybody been getting to get these big houses. And my first year I, I was a wob. I call that walking around broke. Okay. I did horrible my first year, but I didn't give up. I went back to my roots. I found my niche in real estate. I, you know, um, I door knocked for business. You know what I'm saying? I door knocked to sell magazines. I door knocked to get my real estate doors. And I went on to be Century 21 um, Rookie of the Year top producing agent. And then they um, honored me with the Centurion Award and different things like that. So, you know, my second year was a, um, a lot better. I did over a million dollars in sales. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a big job. When you said, you said, uh, wow, walking around, walking Walking around broke. Walking around broke. That's right. I was a walk. <laughs> broke. <laughs> Man, it 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 made me chuckle because I'm like, 
I think there's a few like real estate investors online right now who look like they who look like they got it, but they 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 wobbling around too. Yeah, so, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, um, but no, so so you know, you kind of you, you talked a little bit about five thousand the first year, and then the second year rookie of the year, and all these awards. So obviously, a lot went into like how you go from one to the other. But um, what you said to yourself, I could have made more working at McDonald's. Like what made you stick with this plan that didn't work like you thought it would in the first year versus just going ahead and saying, you know what, I'm going to go get a different job. Like what was that? What drove that decision for you? So I'm, um, I always tell people this, right? I'm street strong. It take a lot to break your girl. Okay. Like I've been through hell and back. I feel like, you know, you literally got to kill me to take me out this game. And so I refuse to go down. I refuse to be defeated. You know, I didn't get this far just to get this far. And I knew that, if I went and took that test seven times and I eventually passed, I can eventually pick up how this is supposed to go in real estate and start making money from it. So I I, I was always, um, you know, very conscious of my mindset and the um, and the way I thought about things because the moment I I say I'm done with something, the moment I don't want to do something, I'm done and I'm not doing it. So I had to be very careful not to let those words come out my mouth because I would have walked away if I would have been like, oh, I give up or I quit or you know, you know, I made five thousand dollars this year. This is horrible. But when you see people around you, you know, doing one, two, three, five, ten million dollars, you like. They're no different than me. And I've always told myself that I'm no different than the next person other than they just kept on going to the next opportunity. If I stop here, I won't get to my next opportunity. So I think that's what was different for me. There's a lot of value in what you just said. There's a lot of lessons for for new investors in what you just said, because because what you express is really the mindset that people need to have when they're not just approaching real estate, but any new business venture. Like it ain't supposed to be easy. Like it's not supposed to be easy. And the only thing in my opinion that sets apart successful investors from those who haven't found success yet, it's not that the successful people found the super secret sauce or super secret bag of money. Nobody else found or the super secret deal source. Nobody else found. It's just that they didn't quit. Like there's, they didn't quit when it got hard. They didn't quit when they didn't make any money. They didn't quit when they spent money and didn't get a return. They didn't quit when a tenant, you know, destroyed their property. They didn't quit when the deal fell apart at the closing table. Like it's just, it's the tenacity. And that, that I don't, when people say you have to have the right mindset, I think a lot of the times it kind of just goes in people's one ear and out the other. There is so much gold in this story already. We're about to learn how Tarek has used that grit and tenacity to learn how to turn any deal into a yes and build a massive portfolio right after this break. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through Rent to Retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. We need to double check with Zach, Rent to Retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. And we're back. We're here with Terika Smith, who is sharing her astounding story on how she got into real estate on the heels of one of the hardest times in her life. She committed to real estate hard. She took the real estate exam seven times to get her license. We're about to see how that tenacity paid off throughout her journey. That's huge. Not allowing yourself to say, hey, this isn't going to work or, hey, I'm done with this. Even even playing it within in your mind can really change the actions that you take. So I, I love that. I think that's valuable lessons for people. I mean, I, I think pretty much what, what it comes down to is like, we all suck when we get started at something and the really successful people are just willing to be bad at something for a lot longer. And that's really the, the big difference in this in this world. <laughs> I, I think people look around at real estate investors and they say, oh, they're, they're all smarter than me. But it's like, what are the chances that every single successful real estate investor is actually smarter than you? And it's like zero. They're all just regular people that are willing to be bad at something for a long time until they're good. Um, so, Terika, I... I don't want to gloss over this this whole thing. I mean, you you said the first year you made five thousand bucks. Um, it sounds like I, you know this is rough math here, but that means you sold 
roughly 150k worth of homes that first year. Then the second year, you said you did about a million dollars in sales, which rough math here would say you almost 10x your your revenue or your your closed sales. So what was that? What what happened? What was the big moment there that was like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna like 10x the amount of output that I'm doing this year. I've always been big on um, research and education. Um, I have self-taught myself a lot of things. Um, and and literally, it's by giving myself access to information. And I remember um, the big change for me was um, buying this CD. It was like a comeback CD. And like it was literally being able to get over every single objection that a seller and or a buyer would face you with. And I would listen to that like it was the Bible, like how I read my Bible from sun up to sundown. As soon as I get in the car, I get out the car. You know, um, if I'm in the shower, I have the cassette playing in the um in the bathroom, like I'm constantly doing it and I'm constantly role playing. So now when I get on the phone, I need enough tenacity to be able to get prepared for these notes I'm about to get. Cause I already know Ms. Jones is about to tell me no. I already know I'm about to get like 10 of them no's, right? So I got to prepare myself to be able to get to the yes with all of those no's. And for me, once I had that mindset, I was like, yo, that's really cool. The second thing was when I door knocked, I ended up getting my own subdivision from a lady because she was impressed with me door knocking. She wanted me, she wanted to know why should she go with me versus going with the top agent that she was going to go with. And I said, well, I can tell you, number one, I have time. Okay. I got way more time than anybody. I'm out here knocking on doors, trying to get your business. Okay. Your realtor not knocking on doors. That's the first thing. The second thing is you're not going to be a number to me. You're going to remember me. So I made my relationships more personable with the sellers. I treated them as if they were actually a friend of mine and that their property was the only property in the world for me. And it landed me my first subdivision. So Hold on really fast. Terrica, what do you mean by that? When you say it landed you your own subdivision, is it like one of those subdivisions where you like a lot of them are pre-built and you're just the exclusive agent? Yes. At that point in time, yes. This was a lady who had um, she had I think it was like 60 lots or something like that. And so she literally allowed me to be the listing agent for that community. Every single property she built, I was the listing agent to be able to sell those homes back there. Wow. Whoa. Yes. So that went for me. I think people, and this is important for those that's on here that's in real estate. I went to a foreign place. I knew nobody. I was not a Thibodeau, a Risho, or a Boudreaux. I didn't have a popular last name. I didn't have no referrals in the pipeline. I literally just started with what I was good at. And some of us have superpowers that we just don't access. But I think if we start accessing the superpowers that we have, we'll realize our talents is more than enough. So what a cool, well, first of all, the story is amazing, but you knock on the door and you've kind of have this, this lady kind of gives you your, your moment, right? She said, okay, tell me why you, and like, <clears throat> there's not many people that can like point to a very specific moment that probably changed their life, but that like 30 second elevator pitch, right? This moment right there was probably extremely life changing for you. Cause it, it, it seems like, and, and I'm, and I'm speculating here, but it sounds like, you being the listing agent for this uh, developer probably gave you a lot of insights and education into the other side of the of the real estate world on the investor side is that is that kind of how you transitioned 
Well, yeah, absolutely. So this is a funny story that goes into this, right? So, of course, it gave me name recognition in the area, right? When you have a whole subdivision, of course, people are going to see your names. Real estate is its own world. So everybody know everybody in real estate who's doing something. If you ain't doing nothing, nobody know you, right? <laughs> well, long story short... Um, I had started working with investors only. I realized there was a niche for investors that agents wasn't really working with. And so I would start working with investors. And I remember sitting at the closing table with one of my investors and I literally would do all of the work on these projects for them, meaning I would find the property, I would bring the contractors in to fix up the property. I would oversee the contractors, pick out the paint colors. I would do everything, um, list it, sell it, everything, right? And I was sitting at the closing table one day and the attorney gave me the folder, the closing folder, which was supposed to have my commission check in it as a realtor. Now, I should be grateful because I have investors that's let me, you know, come in or whatever, and they're buying it with me. They're selling it with me. You know, I should be very grateful. Well, they end up giving me that investor folder. And when I seen those zeros in his folder, I couldn't unsee what I said. <laughs> I was like, yo. Now, mind you, I said, oh, I'm sitting at the wrong end of the table. I need to be I need to be on that end where they getting the big zeros and doing, you know, the least amount of work. And so I had a conversation with all my investors at that time. Um, and I said, hey, I'm going to work for you guys, but we're going to split it 50 50 and I'm not putting up no money. I'm not putting up no money. I'm going to do all the work and I'm going to do everything I've been doing, but you got to split it with me 50-50. I lost all my investors except one. One investor stayed with me. And me and him did about 10 homes following. And then he started telling all his friends about me. And guess what? When his friends came to the table, they knew if they was going to work with me, it was going to be a 50-50 deal. And I wasn't putting up no money. Okay. All right. So let's go back because I love this. So you're basically saying, I want to use OPM. I want, I want to use other people's money to fund my real estate uh, journey, I suppose. So you go, you're a listing agent and you're starting to talk to investors. And basically you come in, um, I don't want to say making demands, but you come in with your terms. You say, hey, I want this. And you had a group, I think you said of 10 or so investors. Most of them said, yeah, those terms don't work for us. Thanks, but no thanks. They all left. And then one person was like, actually, I'm good with this. And then that is the that was kind of like the the beginning of, of working with someone to to fuel the the empires that did did I hear that correctly? Yeah, it was way more than ten investors. I lost all my investors except one, but he, that one investor went on to do ten deals with me, and that got the attention with his other friends. And the draw for the investor was you were the workhorse. You were finding them the property managing the build, the renovation, the contractors, like all they had to do was show up and get paid essentially. That's it. Okay. I like this. Uh, were you negotiable at all on this or were you like, this is, this is what I want. <laughs> Rob, Rob, have you been on this interview? Do you think she was negotiable? <laughs> Rob, let me just tell you something. I, I mentioned earlier, right? I said, I'm street strong. If one thing I know how to do is make it out of a struggle. So if I had to struggle back from the beginning with zero to get to where I'm at, I was willing to do it. And pretty much I did. I only had one buddy that stayed with me, you know, um, shout out to him. We still rock together to this day, you know? Well, it's just, I ask because most of the time we are really, you know, we're like, hey, this is what I want. And when someone's like, no, thanks. It's always like, oh, OK, well, I mean, what, what do you want? And then maybe I can come down a little bit. Uh, but you didn't change. I love it. It's, it's, it's sticking to your guns. This guy did 10 deals with you. Mm -hmm. 
uh, of those 10 deals, it was a 50-50 split for you and him, but he didn't have to do any work. And and so you said you did 10 deals, but you guys are still working together now. Is the relationship different? Like what? Oh, it's much different. Yeah, it's much different because I'm a developer now. So um, <laughs> you make him do the work. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think I done passed him on his um, on on what he's comfortable with, you know, doing, you know. Um, but yeah, no, we still work. I mean, we still hang out. We go out and eat. You know, we do things like that. Um, but <sighs> You know, um, I'm pretty aggressive in this market. So, you know, um, I don't, you know, I like filet mignon. So that means I like, you know, I like to eat good in this market. And, um, you know, he still does a lot of the um, fix and flips and rentals. And, you know, from here and there, when I feel bored, you know, in developments, I go dabble over there. We go, you know, make it like old times. But for the most part, you know, we're just really good friends. Okay, so that's uh, uh you, you keep revealing just massive aspects of your story that I'm like, hold on, wait, what? So you're working with these investors, you do the work, you split it 50-50, and then there comes a moment in this, I guess, transition of doing renovations and flips where you're like, I want to start developing. Tell us a little bit about that. What was that moment or, or that change in your career? Um, so what happened was... Um... Wait, let me guess. Every transition in her career, it's because she saw somebody was making more zeros. <laughs> and she said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go figure out how to be better than you at that and get them zeros. That's right. That's right. So, um, I was, um, I was at a builders meeting and I didn't, um, I was sitting on the UDC board, um, which is the urban development committee, right? And that's a committee where all of the builders and developers and everybody like that join together. They give input on what, you know, ways that they can get different, um, developers to come into the areas and things like that. And so I was sitting there and one builder was talking about the new home he was going to build. Now, mind you, I never thought about building new homes at this point in time. I'm just a fix and flipper. And um, he was saying how he was buying lots and he was just putting them up in different communities. And I'm like, wait, you building new homes in older communities? I never even thought of that. So I went and partnered with a builder. Um, and what that partnership looked like was I went, I found the lots and I paid for the lots. And then I had the builder come in and we would build on those lots together and we would split the profit 50 50. The reason why I did that was because I needed to understand how to build new construction. I knew nothing about it. And being in a fix and flip, you pretty much, you know, depending on the, the type of home, you're pretty much rebuilding it anyway. So I knew that I could possibly do it, but I wanted to make sure that I had some type of experience from someone with experience. And so I partnered with a builder. We built four homes in an existing community. Um, we sold those homes before we even finished building them. And I'm like, yo, this is some really great money. So then I was like, okay, if I can do this, then I'm sure I can, I can be a developer, but I didn't know how to be a developer. And so one of my friends at a dinner said, Hey, I'm putting my grandchildren name on a street sign. And I'm like, what? You can put people name on the street signs. I didn't even know that was a thing. Like I didn't know people sit down and have conversations about that. Right. Somebody it's about being in the right room and having the right access to the right information. You start learning these things. So me being being who I am, I'm like, I want my children's name on the street sign too. So I go and um, I develop a community. It's called Madeline Cove. And then I put my son name on the street sign. Now, I didn't just come become a developer. What I did was I actually um, worked with the builder. We built a few more properties. And then I eventually ended up in a few more development 
partnerships with other builders who wanted to be developers. So I was able to witness on the back end that um, operation. And then I was like, okay, I feel confident enough to be able to go do my own development. And that's how I was able to start Madeline Cove and put my children's name on street signs. Uh, first of all, I think you're you're just a good good storyteller because within these stories, there's so many great lessons for people if they're wanting to get into real estate or into development. Um, and I think one of the lessons that we're, we're hearing here is you didn't just say, I'm going to go be a developer and jump off the cliff because there's a lot of risk in being a developer, right? Especially if you have to go acquire the land and you don't know what that land has use for, or if you can even do what you want to do and the cost of build. like there's so many variables and so much money gets spent with development before, you know, a two by four is ever put in the ground. And so but what you did that was super smart was you said, I'm going to go partner with somebody who knows how to do this. And I'm going to structure it in a way that's beneficial to that partner and myself so that I get a lesson while I make money. And, um, you know, I always stress to people, if you're going to get into something that's not your bread and butter, there are people who are good at it. And there are ways that you can set yourself up to partner with those people or be successful. You need to bring them the thing that they don't have. I wanted to do a self-storage deal. I wanted to do one so bad. And I thought the only way I'm going to do a self-storage deal is I got to go find a self-storage deal. Because if I get a self-storage deal, I know I can find a guy who does self-storage to come be a 50-50 partner with me. And that's exactly how I did my first self-storage deal. I got a lead and it just so happened to be a lead on a self-storage facility that this guy had been trying to market to. And so I call, once I got the lead, I called him and I was like, hey, I think this is a good deal. How do we take it down. And if we do, do you want to be 50, 50 partners? And that ended up netting us our first storage deal. So I think that there's a valuable lesson there and find someone who's doing it and bring them some value and you can get a deal. And then you worked with this developer, you built this relationship, you did a few projects until you felt like, okay, I know how to go do this. And then you went and found your neighborhood to put your family's name on. Is that what I'm hearing? That's absolutely correct. Gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So, can I ask a little bit about this? The details of of sort of working with the developer. I think you mentioned you found someone. You said, "Hey, uh, let's split this fifty fifty. How does that work? Like, do they have like a fund, or do they have like a commercial line of uh, credit that with the bank, and then they fund it all through there, and they're they're basically on the hook for that commercial loan financially, and then yeah, basically after all that loan is paid back and you make your sale." You're just splitting profits from there. Is it is it that easy or is it even more complex than that? No, nah, it's not even complex. Right. So um, I think it all depends on, you know, the builder slash developer, whatever, whichever route you want to go. For us, we had a relationship with a local bank. And so um, the developer, whenever. So this is how development goes. Right. Whenever we find a partial of land and we do the subdivide and we do all of our civil we are already pre-selling lots. So by the time we get to 50% sold in our community, before we even do shovel, like before we even shovel ready, we're already 50% sold. We go to the bank and we pledge that book of business with the bank. And they see the um, the LOIs, the letter of co um, commitments we have. 
letter of intent, but the letter of commitments we have from other builders in the area who has agreed to purchase these lots from us. And then they give us the financing for the hard costs to be able to get started with the infrastructure. And then, of course, you got your lot allocation with the bank where they're going to, you know, um, you know, they're going to have a certain portion that's due on each lot. Every time you close, you got to pay down your your loan on it. And then from there, you know, we able to split the profits. Now, how you come in as a partner, like for me, I'm adding value is I'm going to do all the city council meetings. I'm going to go to all the civil, you know, um, most developers, they want to do that anyway. But if they have somebody that's going to be in the weeds with them, that is, you know, it's a great partnership opportunity, you know. Um, and so I'm also going to put in whatever the bank requires for that 20% down. I'm going to come in. I got to bring in my 10% of the portion if I want to be an equal partner in that deal. Um, and that usually look like me bringing in other investors on the back end of under me, creating some type of GPLP situation to be able to get um, my 10% if it's, you know, a multi-million dollar development. For anybody at home that may not know, that is that's general partner and limited partner. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we put those together and then from there, you know, we're able to go and um, acquire it and, you know, split the profits at the end whenever, you know, we sell the property. Very cool. Very cool. So, okay. This is really amazing, by the way. I mean, I, I think you know this. This is such a cool story. You're obviously, you're crushing it. You go into the development world. I'd imagine it's a little competitive. So what was sort of your angle or what was your idea for making your neighborhood different or your subdivision different from some of the competition in New Orleans? So just so we clear, this community is in um, a few hours away from New Orleans. Um, you know, people be trying to dare you on the internet, you know. But um, <laughs> anyways, so... <laughs> yeah, I do know, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so I'm big on preventing gentrification and I'm big on um, community projects and allowing... Um, people that come from situations such as myself, low income, Section 8, you know, affordable housing subsidy. I'm big on catering to that audience. So, Rob, I see no competition in my lane. There's nobody in the United States that can compete. And I say this aggressively. Now, this is national builders. If they want to come on down to this level, I think it'll be a party for, you know, 80 percent of Americans. Right. But there's nobody building homes less than two hundred thousand dollars in this marketplace today. But me. You know, so I am okay with making, you know, 40, you know, 40 to $60,000 on a um, real estate deal, new construction home, brand new, three bedrooms, two baths. I'm talking a garage. I'm not even putting these people in carports, you know, um, granite countertops, energy efficient windows, architectural shingles. Like it's a really nice home that we're building for the people. There's nobody who can compete with that. And so whenever I'm bringing these communities to these neighborhoods, I'm door knocking back to my roof. Back to my superpower, right? If you put me in front of you, Rob, I can sell your furniture back to you when I go to your house. That's how good I am, right? I really believe that. So because I know who I am, when I go and knock on these people's doors and I'm addressing their pain points and I'm letting them know I'm not coming in here to push you out your neighborhood. I'm coming in here to include you in your neighborhood. What is it that you would like to see in the neighborhood? Oh, we'll like to see the violence calm down. Okay, great. How about we create an opportunity where one, we, we create some type of recreational activity where kids have a place to go and play. Maybe we have a bookstore in the area because bookstores don't go into the hood. 
period. So maybe I create bookstores that go into these neighborhoods that don't normally get bookstores. Maybe I create a coffee shop where kids can go sit down, study, and, and want to learn. Maybe I create these environments that these neighborhoods would normally see. And now, you know, you're able to address the pain points of what some of these people have. Another pain point they have is that they don't feel like people here now. Their voices are not heard. So I'm like, not only do I hear you, right? I am here physically. I'm from where you from. I come from where you come from. So I'm not afraid of these gangbangers and all these other people that may scare people in the area. I'm not scared of them. Like, you know, I just looked the um, drug dealer and like, I don't care. I'll stand up to him. Like, you know, period. And so because I have that tenacity about me and because I'm that hometown girl and because I'm not an out of reach developer, People in the community, they rock with me more. You know, we went door to door um, explaining to everyone what we was doing, passing out flyers, but also, you know, um, just doing neighborhood cookouts, community events, making them know that, hey, we here for you guys. We want this to be for you. And the, and my audience, the people who I build home for, the people who I'm selling homes for is the cafeteria workers in the hospital, right? I'm, 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 I'm focused on that median income of anywhere from 30,000 a year to about 60 to 70,000 a year. That's who I'm focused on building homes for because that is what the, that's what your middle, that's kind of like what the middle class in the South is making. So if I can focus on providing home ownership to those individuals who's been working at the same job for 10 to 15 years, then I feel like, you know, there's no competition in my lane, Rob. I hope that answered that question. It did. It absolutely did. Um, this is, I'm, I'm just going to be frank. Like, this is why I wanted to have you on here telling this story, because all we hear right now is there's no affordable housing. There's no way to build affordable housing. We can't solve this problem. No one wants to solve this problem. And you've essentially laid out a blueprint for how people can solve this problem. So I think what you're what you're proving is that, yeah, this problem can be solved. Right. This problem is being solved. And what it's taking is for somebody to get down and go meet people where they're at. And I think that's where that's what sets you apart from everybody else is nobody else is willing to do that. Um, and you are building homes and improving communities without displacing the people within that community. And so many times we see people come in and build these beautiful homes and these beautiful neighborhoods and these beautiful amenities, but they're not for the people in that neighborhood. They price them at a price point where the people in that neighborhood can't have access to those amenities. And you're doing the exact opposite. You're building these beautiful communities, but building it in a way that allows the people within that community to have access. And I want to commend you for that. I think that that's incredible and more people need to see that it, it is currently happening and can be done and can be profitable. That's, that's huge. I think, I think a lot of people get super scared to go into the affordable housing side of things because they think that there's no money to be made. But you said that these are, I mean, each build is a relatively profitable build. 
That's right. And I don't use the government money. So a lot of people associate affordable housing with subsidy. I don't use government money. This is my own money that we use to go to the bank. I'm using traditional funding just like anybody else. So I'm not getting no tax credits. I'm not getting any of that. This is literally, you know, us working with Home Depot and working with the Lowe's around the world and getting corporate discounts and being able to sit down and have these hours at a time meeting to drive the pricing down price per square foot so we can build them at the price that these people need, you know, um, and also not just focusing on building homes. It's more than that, right? There's a um, there's a food desert, you know, there's a healthcare desert, you know, in the area that I'm building it, if a railroad train is passing, there's no healthcare. That means you can't get to an emergency room if a train is passing. So we're more focused on bringing, you know, um, those type of opportunities back into these communities where these people don't have transportation. They rely on public transportation. So if we can provide food, housing, and medical, I think that, you know, um, that's a start to getting our community back to where it needs to be. This is incredibly powerful, and there's a lot more depth to explore here. Now that we've uncovered how Terika is single-handedly tackling the affordability crisis, let's dive into how she opens up opportunities for other investors in her region. Plus, we'll discuss the insightful advice she offers to new investors right after the break. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. nreig.com slash bppod. 
You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means? Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. One thing you mentioned was that you you go door to door and you talk to the people in the community and you ask them what they want. Um, obviously, I think strategically that helps you know what to build. But are you also doing that because um, uh, is it a way like you get approvals for the things that you need from the city based on what the, the, the community members are asking for? I do it because they be having my back here. Like, I'm not going to lie. People be stealing in these neighborhoods and robbing you blind. You know what I'm saying? So I be needing a few people to have my back in this neighborhood. So if they know Terica, you know, you know, is in here and I'm trying to help them and I'm trying to keep them, you know, in a in a in the environment that they're used to, that they've been there for generations. But I'm just trying to uplift them and and bring them, you know, better product in their community Then I need for them to have my back. But also if if they have a, a particular, you know, um, pain point, like, for instance, you know, they want children to be able to have a basketball court or things like that. I do put those into my designs because that is so important for them. And it helps them know that I'm a woman of my word and that I'm going to be true to what they're asking. Absolutely. Irritates me every time I go into a community and I see somebody build a park and not put a basketball court. Because then I I know you ain't build that park for the people that's there. You're trying to push the people that's there out. If I see a new park go up with a basketball court, I'm like, that's for my people right there. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you, Terika, because you're you're building and you're developing a lot of new homes. What does that do to the equity of existing? 
existing homes? Does that help them? Does that hurt them? Does it build up the entire community? How does that look from like a grander view? Oh, that's such a great question, Rob. So where I build that, nobody want to come at right now anyway, unless they want to come bulldoze everything down in the area and then just start fresh. So everything that I do, like where I'm building at, before I started building, home values have not increased in over 10 years. Could you imagine not having appreciation in your house in over 10 years? Right. So we took a property. These homes didn't sell for more than thirty to forty thousand dollars in this area. Now they're selling at about eighty five thousand dollars because of our new construction homes that we're building in proximity. Not only are those home values increasing, now we're increasing the property value in those areas. So you just can't come and steal it from nobody anymore. You got to pay what it's worth. And so now with us having homes that's being built at one hundred and seventy five thousand, one hundred and eighty thousand, everything up under two hundred. Right now, people are like, yo, like, you know, first, the bank didn't even want to give us no money, Rob. I didn't tell you that they was like, yo, nobody's going to buy over there. So the first 12 homes we had to build out our own pocket without the bank. Now they throwing money at us because we can't keep them on the ground. It's a high need for it's a high demand, you know, so um, we that's why I say we don't have no competition because nobody can build and do what we're doing right now. They can. They just don't want to. And I believe that um, somebody listening to this is going to be inspired. I believe that you are going to light a fire under somebody who's going to hear like, oh, my goodness, this is what I need to be doing for my community. This is what I need to be doing in the community around where I live. And so um, what advice or what would you say to those people who are new and they want to implement a strategy like what you're doing in 2024? I would say this. Get around people who's doing exactly what you want to do, right? This is the, to me, I, I mean, I can be biased, but I think Bigger Pockets is the number one podcast in the world on real estate information. I don't know of another podcast in the world that gives as much resources as this podcast. And it's not to fluff y'all feathers because I'm on here. It's true. No, go ahead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's true. Right. And, and so being in rooms like this, listening to conversations like, like this, going to bigger pockets and looking at the fix and flip calculator, looking at the multifamily, okay, all of the resources and tools. If there's an article on anything real estate, you, I bet you your last dollar it's on bigger pockets. And so just becoming a sponge with all of the information and the resources that are already given to you, I think people dismiss that. Like they dismiss all of the um the 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 calculators that you guys give just for free. I'm like, yo, this is I be charging for this. I don't get this away for free, right? So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So to know that it's a platform out there that's a hub of information that's given this, I would say start there. The second thing I would say is get a coach or a mentor. Like if you hear my story, I had to learn it through someone else and I was okay with paying for what I needed to learn. I was okay with paying, you know, to um, take my real estate exam seven times. So I think it's important to know that you have to be willing to make some type of investment in yourself to be able to get where you want to go and not be afraid to make that investment. And then I would say the most important thing is to believe in yourself everybody's going to tell you it's crazy. They're going to say it don't make sense. They're not going to understand it. But I think I go to the bank more than anybody in my family. And now they can appreciate advice from me when it comes out my mouth. That's amazing. Well, Terika, we so appreciate this. This is what I always dub as an instant classic. I think a lot of people are going to listen to this 
and they're going to be super inspired to take action today. And for anyone that was that at home, that if you're in need of some of these tools and resources, you can always head over to biggerpockets.com. There's a little tab there that's called tools. If you click on that, it'll take you to all of our calculators. And if you want to connect with Terika or Henry or myself, all of our contact information, all of our good stuff for connecting on the internet will be in the show notes at the bottom of this podcast. Thank you again so much, Terika. We greatly enjoyed having you on. Thanks for having me. Uh, yes, of course. And we will catch everyone on the next episode of Bigger Pockets. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.